Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord. We're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but God, your word will forever last. Lord, we are ready for your word. God, I pray as your word goes forth, let it go forth in power and might that those who need you might come to know you, those who know you might grow in you, that ultimately our lives will be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all of these blessings. Amen. Most of you are probably unfamiliar with James Stockdale. The Stockdale Paradox is named after him. James Stockdale was an American naval officer who was held captive during the Vietnam War for seven and a half years. He resided in a prison camp that came to be known as the Hanoi Hilton. And he was tortured over 15 times. The techniques that he was tortured with included beatings, whippings, and near asphyxiation with ropes. James Stockdale was asked how he survived that imprisonment. How did he survive those difficult times? Uh, and he said he survived because he held his beliefs of optimism about a future, even though he was in a perilous time in his present. He recognized how severe the times were that he found himself in, but he believed that better days were in front of him. Uh, it's called the Stockdale Paradox. Uh, it, it's a technique of navigating challenging and ambiguous times by combining the ability to confront the brutal facts of your current reality while maintaining an unwavering faith that better days are coming. Stockdale survived when others in the Hanoi Hilton gave up. Stockdale persevered when others gave in to the pain. Stockdale held on even when he was tempted to give up because while he recognized the difficulty in front of him, he did not allow that to dissuade the faith that was within him. And my brothers and sisters, we need the same attitude today. We, we, we need the same commitment. We need the same fortitude. We need the same tenacity. We need the same mindset that, that looks at what we're dealing with now in the light of reality, but recognizing that we still have a faith that says better days are ahead. For somebody today, you may be ready to throw in the towel. For somebody, it, it may be so bad. You, you have begun asking God to get you out of your situation instead of asking God, what can you get out of that situation? For somebody, you're raising the towel not to celebrate, but to throw it in. But I believe God has a word for you today. I told you before that the one way to ensure you won't win is to quit before the end. But if you hold on to the end, 
you can be victorious. Today, I want to continue our, our look at the subject matter that we started on last week, how to get through your Gethsemane. How to get through your Gethsemane. If I'm walking down your street, if I'm sitting on your porch, if I'm inside your living room, I have a word for you today because somebody under the sound of my voice needs to understand that Gethsemanes, while they will always be present in your life, they are never to be a permanent dwelling place for your life. That many times, like David said about the valley of the shadow of death, they are places that we go through, but they are never places that we are to reside in. If you have your outlines, would you raise your hand? Uh, say amen if you have your outlines. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Three things I want you to see today very quickly that will help you get through your Gethsemane. Now, just in the form of review, last week I shared with you two principles. The first principle I shared with you is that you need to realize you will have at least one Gethsemane experience in your life. Gethsemane for Jesus was that place on the Mount of Olives where the oil press existed along with the olive grove and it was there that that which was beneficial in the olive was pressed to get it out of it and there was a sense that it served as a metaphor for you and for me that many times there are things in us that don't come out of us until we get pressed or until we're in a pressure-packed situation. None of us are exempt from Gethsemane experiences in life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how good a person you are, how, how saved a person you are, how spiritual a person you are. All of us will go through some Gethsemane experiences in life. And even when you see somebody who looks like they're doing real well publicly, you never know what they're going through privately. In John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't miss it. Jesus says you may have peace, but you will have tribulation. Which means what? Peace is a choice, tribulation is not. You have to choose peace in your life regardless of what you're going through. Secondly, I shared with you on last week, you must recognize the importance of practicing prayer when you go through your Gethsemane. You got to practice prayer, y'all. You got to call on a power higher than yourself. Sometimes it's a Gethsemane experience that reminds us that we are not God and he is God. Because you know we can get an omnipotence complex and we can get beside ourselves and start believing that the world revolves around us. And sometimes God has to allow things to come into our life so that we know unequivocally that we need somebody bigger than we are to help us handle life. That prayer Life must be a priority. It must be passionate. It must be persistent. It, it, it has to be ongoing. And, let, and let's be honest, y'all. Let's be honest. Come on. I'm just talking to you right now. Let's be honest. Many times in life, we'd rather play than pray. And, and the truth be told, we don't really pray until it really gets hard in life. 
Otherwise, we're busy playing and not praying. And sometimes in order to get a word in with us or to get an opportunity to communicate with us, God has to create circumstances and situations so that we have to call on him. Let me share with you today what God has laid on my heart when we talk about how to get through your Gethsemane. Number one, you must be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. Look, look, look Look at verse 32, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. So he's talking to all of the disciples. He tells them, you stay here while we go and pray. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. He became, there it is, deeply troubled and distressed. Verse 34, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 35 says he went a little further and fell to the ground. Now, my brothers and sisters, I'm I'm thinking, what, what could Jesus have been going through for him to articulate his agony in such a powerful way? He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, this thing is so hard on me. Matter of fact, I think modern psychologists might deem this to be a suicidal ideation moment. Not not that Jesus was going to commit suicide, no, but that his grief was so great upon him that it caused him to think about death. Can anybody in here identify with that? If you're not too proud, just to raise your hand a little bit and just say, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about taking my own life, but the stuff that was going on around me was so hard, I thought I was going to lose my life. Jesus, Jesus acknowledges the difficulty of the situation. And, and here's what I need somebody to understand. You can't ignore what you're going through and where you are and then expect God to bring healing to your life where you are. Uh, we, we, see, see, here's what we do. We confuse denial with deliverance. We, we confuse optimism with overcoming. We, we confuse positive thinking with prevailing. Sometimes we make the mistake of confusing silence with spirituality. Jesus said, my situation is so bad, my sorrow takes me to the place of death where death appears to be a preferred alternative. Can you imagine some super saint walking up to Jesus saying something like this? You shouldn't be putting that in the atmosphere, Jesus. You you shouldn't be saying that that, the the power of life and death is in the tongue. Jesus, you shouldn't be saying that. I need you to be more spiritual in that, Jesus. But, But watch this. Jesus reminds us that the greatest spirituality is found in our humility and in our honesty. Let's be honest with ourselves. Listen, it's one thing when somebody scams you. It's one thing when somebody runs game on you. But brothers and sisters, it's a whole nother level when you game yourself. You, you're a bad mommy jammer if you can game yourself. Run, run a game on yourself. When you fool yourself, 
Jesus teaches us you've got to be honest with yourself. But watch the second thing. Not only do you need to be honest with yourself, Jesus says, number two, you must be honest with God. You must be honest with God. Now, don't miss the order because it's significant. You cannot be honest with God until you first are honest with yourself. Watch what the text says, verse 35. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba Father, he cried, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus in his prayer is honest with God. Now, I'm not trying to talk about anybody specifically, but I'm not trying to miss anybody either. I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, You're not really praying until you can pray for real to God. See, 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 then now I lay me down to sleep. That's a cute child prayer. Uh, It's really nice. It it sounds really good. This this evening, our Heavenly Father, once more and again, a few of your humble handmaid servants come knee bent, body bowed one more time. And Lord, I thank you that the four corners of my room were not the four corners of my grave. And I thank you that my cover was was not my kibble. I thank you my my, my sheet wasn't my winding sheet. All of that is good. But is there anybody in here who knows when you really going through something, you don't have time to establish protocol with God. I mean, when times get hard, you just got to say, Lord, I need you. If I ever needed you before, I sure do need you now. Jesus was honest with God. He says to the Father, if it's possible, first class condition in the Greek, if it's possible, uh, I'm not expressing doubt that that it can't happen, but but God, I'm expressing the possibility of what I desire. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but but nevertheless, let let your will be done. Let, Let your will be done. Someone in here needs to make a decision to be real with God. Somebody in here needs to be willing to say, God, if it's possible, let it pass from me. I've got to confess to you, I'm I'm dealing with some things. I've been sharing stuff with you all over the last couple of months, and and I've been like, Lord, if it's possible. Lord, why? Why do we have to go through this? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, and, and, and can I tell you something? When, when, you, when, you, when you pray that kind of prayer, here's, here's what you have to acknowledge. When you look back over your life, watch this. On the other side of the painful experience, you are typically better. But just because you're better on the other side of the pain, doesn't mean you'd be willing to go through the pain before you got through the pain. Some of y'all looking at me strange. Let me put a cord in the meter and park right there for a second. Here's all I'm telling you. If you look back over your life and see what you have gone through, 
the hardships, the heartbreaks, the difficult times. Watch this. Your character was developed in the midst of the calamities, the catastrophes, and the chaos that you had to experience. But if you knew you had to go through what you went through, before you went through it, you probably would pray like Jesus prayed and said, Lord, if it's possible. Because the truth of the matter is we only get real smart typically on the other side of our tragedies. But if you saw the tragedy coming, you wouldn't even get to the benefit on the other side. You'd be like, Lord, can I just get a pass on this? Can I just get an excuse me on this? God, can I get a detour around this difficulty? Is there another way that we can get to where you want me to be? But here's the truth of the matter. That great Christian author A.W. Tozer said, God uses no one greatly until they've been hurt deeply. That it's out of our pain that God gives birth to the best person we can possibly be. And at the end of the day, I told you this before, but let me say it again. God is not concerned about you becoming the best version of yourself. God is concerned about you becoming the best version of Jesus you can be. He wants you to become so much like Jesus that when somebody looks at you, they say, there goes Jesus. Uh, my, my youngest son, Brandon, and I, we were in the studio at KTSU. We were walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden, Donna Franklin, who is producer there, said, oh, my God. And I turned around. I said, what's wrong? She said, that's got to be your son. And I said, why? She said, y'all walk exactly the same. <laughs> said, no, y'all was in step like y'all in the army, like he walks just like you. I said, well, that, that, that's a good sign. He is my son. That's a good sign. He's... <laughs> Listen, when you walk, does somebody say, you must be a child of God because you, you walk like God? When you talk, you talk like God. The way you act, you act like God. Or do you limit your godliness to Sunday for an hour and a half? Here's the final thing, and then I'm going to take my seat. Number three, you must submit to God's will when his will is not what you want. You must submit to God's will when his will is not what you want. Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And he said, verse 36, the King James translation, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless, nevertheless not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus' human will was distinct from, but never in opposition to the Father's will. Let me say it again for somebody. Jesus's human will was distinct from, but never in opposition to the Father's will. Lord, this is what I want. But nevertheless, I submit my will to your will. 
There was a play some years ago entitled Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. And, and the premise of that play was that no matter how good a fighter you think you are, you will always lose when you get in the ring with God. That, that there has to come a place, a point in time in your life when you submit to what God's will is for your life. And can I tell you something about God's will? God's will is always perfect. Your will is never perfect. Now, for those of you who are closet theologians, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, wait a minute, Pastor. What's the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will? The difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will is your disobedience. See, God doesn't have two wills. We just try to make our disobedience sound better when we call it his permissive will. Let, let me see if I can make it plain for somebody. Uh, if you've ever been a child or you have children, you try to give your children the best advice possible. But isn't it amazing how you were smart enough to raise your children but now once they get grown, they think you absolutely are an idiot, right? <laughs> they think that you don't know anything you're talking about. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, my wife and I, we've got seven, eight grandchildren. How many we got, baby? Nine, ten, I think, right? We, we still adding. And, uh, but, but here's what's amazing. It's amazing how many of their parents, not all of their parents, but some of their parents think that while we probably did a pretty good job raising them or could have done a better job raising them, that we know nothing about parenting. I mean, some of them that were like, they were like, does, does Poppy know how to change a diaper? Like, has he ever seen a diaper before in his life? He had, had three children. We run a preschool, train them how to change diapers, right? Like, but, but again, we, we don't think anybody knows. And, and, and here's, here's what I would say. If my children did exactly what I said, they would be practicing my perfect will. But when they take my advice, and then edit it and do what they want to do. That's my permissive will. Are y'all following me? Look at Psalm 40, verse 8. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your law is written on my heart. Matthew 6.10, let's read it together as we close. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come and your will be done. John 4, 34, the message Bible, Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. And here's all I want to leave you with today. If you're going to get through your Gethsemane, at the end of the day, you've got to submit your will to God. You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with God. And you've got to submit your will to God. And say, God, not my will, but your will be done. James Stockdale, 
later Admiral Stockdale, after whom the Stockdale Paradox is named, was interviewed and talked about the reality of the Hanoi Hilton. He talked about the people that he saw die in there. He said, and, and, and what he, he noticed was that the people who were the most optimistic and were the least realistic were the people that struggled the most. Because they were so busy trying to be positive that they never acknowledged and accepted what they were going through, the reality of their experience. He said, but for him, he understood the reality. He understood the odds being against him, but the odds being against him never caused him to abandon his faith in God. You would have thought we coordinated our message today. I promise you I was planning to preach this before I even knew the first lady was coming. But here's what I want you to leave here today believing that things can be better and you can do your part to make things better. More than just voting, I'm talking about how you live your life. Living your life to be the best person that you can be. Living your life to add value to everybody you come in contact with and not take value away. Living your life in a way so that you stop using people and loving things and start using things and loving people. You've experienced heartaches and heartbreaks. Many of you look better publicly than you feel privately. You've made it through things that have destroyed others. You have survived sickness and suffering. You've survived the death of loved ones. You survived disease in your body. You have survived uh, divorce. You have survived the cheating relationship. You are a survivor. You made it. But let me help somebody. You made it because you put your trust in God. You made it because you put your faith in the Lord. You, you made it because on the other side of your burdens, your calamities, your catastrophes, your difficulties, your disappointments, you made it because God blessed you to get there. That's why getting through your Gethsemane is so important. Because you got to remember Gethsemane preceded Calvary. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was like Gethsemane prepped him for Calvary. He, he said, in Gethsemane, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not my will, but on Calvary. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, it's amazing that in Gethsemane, he said, if it's possible, let it pass from me. But while he's drinking the cup on Calvary, he stands faithful. But the story didn't end on Calvary. Calvary was Friday. Come on, y'all. Y'all know the story. Darkness settled over the area. The temple veil tore into two. The earthquake 
broke open tombs. The centurion cried out truly, this must be the son of God. That was Friday. Placed him in a borrowed tomb with borrowed clothes. That was Friday. But early Sunday morning, I wish I had one or two witnesses in here. Early! Hey, Sunday morning, he, he got up with all power in his hand. And here's the good news. The same power that raised him is the same power that can raise you and me. Come on, somebody give God some praise in this place. Father, we thank you and bless you for this day. We pray now that everything that has been said and done has been pleasing in your sight. God, encourage us, inspire us to continue to run on to see what the end will be. To submit our way and our will to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.